Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Greatest Love Stories. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, chapters 13 and 14 from H. Ryder Haggard's Marie. And now, chapter 13, The Rehearsal. And just so you loyal listeners know, I just finished a short bout with pneumonia. We're fine now. And everything is moving forward here for February of 2022. It slowed us down a few turns, but we're back on track. By the women's wagon, we found the liver cooked in its frying pan, as the Frau had said. Indeed, it was just done to a turn. Selecting a particularly massive slice, she proceeded to take it from the pan with her fingers in order to set it upon a piece of tin, from which she had first removed the more evident traces of the morning meal with her constant companion, the ancient and unwashed vat d'oak. As it chanced, the effort was not very successful, since the boiling liver fat burnt the Frau's fingers, causing her to drop it on the grass, and, I am sorry to add, to swear as well. Not to be defeated, however, having first sucked her fingers to ease their smart, she seized the sizzling liver with the vat doke and deposited it upon the dirty tin. There, nephew, she said triumphantly, there are more ways of killing a cat than by drowning. What a fool I was not to think of the vat dog at first. Allah makta, how the flesh has burnt me. I don't suppose that being killed would hurt much more. Also, if the worst comes to the worst, it will soon be over. Think of it, Alan. By tonight I may be an angel, dressed in a long white nightgown like those my mother gave me when I was married, which I cut up for baby clothes because I found them chilly wear, having always been accustomed to sleep in my vest and petticoat. Yes, and I shall have wings, too, like those on the white gander, only bigger if they're to carry my weight. And maybe a crown of glory, I suggested. Yes, of course, a crown of glory, very large, since I shall be a martyr, but I hope one will only have to wear it on Sundays, as I never could bear anything heavy on my hair. Moreover, it would remind me of a kafir's head ring done in gold, and I shall have had enough of kafirs. Then there will be the harp, she went on, as her imagination took fire at the prospect of these celestial delights. Have you ever seen a harp, Alan? I haven't, except that which King David carries in the picture in the book, which looks like a broken, rimpy chair frame set up edgeways. As for playing the thing, they will have to teach me, that's all, which will be a difficult business, seeing that I would sooner listen to cats on the roof than to music. And as for making it... So she chattered on, as I believe with the object of diverting and amusing me, for she was a shrewd old soul, who knew how important it was that I should be kept in an equable frame of mind at this crisis in our fates. Meanwhile, I was doing my best with the lump of liver that tasted painfully of vat dog and was gritty with sand. Indeed, when the vrouw's back was turned, I managed to throw the most of it to Hans behind me, who swallowed it at a gulp since he did not wish to be caught chewing it. "'God in heaven, how fast you eat, nephew!' said the vrouw, catching sight of my empty tin. Then, eyeing the voracious Hottentot suspiciously, she added, "'That yellow dog of yours hasn't stolen it, has he?' "'If so, I'll teach him.' "'No, no, vrouw,' answered Hans in alarm. "'No meat has passed my lips this day, "'except what I licked out of the pan after breakfast.' "'Then, Alan, you will certainly have indigestion, "'which is just what I wanted to avoid. "'Have I not often told you "'that you should chew your bit twenty times before you swallow, "'which I would do myself if I had any back teeth left? "'Here, drink this milk. "'It is only a little sour and will settle your stomach.' "'and she produced a black bottle "'and subjected it to the attentions of the vat doke, "'growing quite angry when I declined it "'and sent for water. "'Next she insisted upon getting into her own bed "'in the wagon to sleep, "'forbidding me to smoke, "'which she said made the hand shake. "'Thither then I went, "'after a brief conversation with Hans, "'whom I directed to clean my rifle thoroughly, "'for I wished to be alone "'and knew that I had little chance of solitude "'outside of that somewhat fusty couch. "'To tell the truth,' "'although I shut my eyes to deceive the vrouw, "'who looked in occasionally to see how I was getting on. "'No sleep came to me that afternoon, "'at least not for a long while. "'How could I sleep in that hot place "'when my heart was torn with doubt and terror? "'Think of it, reader, think of it. "'An hour or two, and on my skill "'would hang the lives of eight white people, "'men, women, and children, "'and the safety or the utter shame "'of the woman whom I loved and who loved me. "'No,' She should be spared the worst. I would give her my pistol, and if there were need, she would know what to do. The fearful responsibility was more than I could bear. 
I fell into a veritable agony. I trembled and even wept a little. Then I thought of my father and what he would do in such circumstances, and began to pray as I had never prayed before. I implore the power above to give me strength and wisdom, not to let me fail in this hour of trouble, and thereby bring these poor people to a bloody death. I prayed till the perspiration streamed down my face, then suddenly I fell into sleep or swoon. I don't know how long I lay thus, but I think it must have been the best part of an hour. At last I woke up all in an instant, and as I woke I distinctly heard a tiny voice, unlike any other voice in the whole world, speak inside my head, or so it seemed to me, saying, Go to the hill, Homa Abutu, and watch how the vultures fly. Do what comes into your mind, and even if you seem to fail, fear nothing. I sat up on the old brow's bed and felt that some mysterious change had come over me. I was no longer the same man. My doubts and terrors had gone. My hand was like a rock. My heart was light. I knew that I would kill those three vultures. Of course, the story seems absurd and easy to be explained by the state of my nerves under the strain which was being put upon them, and for aught I knew that may be its true meaning. Yet I am not ashamed to confess that I have always held, and still hold, otherwise. I believe that in my extremity some kindly power did speak to me in answer to my earnest prayers and to those of others, giving me guidance and, what I needed still more, judgment and calmness. At any rate, that this was my conviction at the moment may be seen from the fact that I hastened to obey the teachings of that tiny, unnatural voice. Climbing out of the wagon, I went to Hans, who was seated nearby in the full glare of the hot sun, at which he seemed to stare with unblinking eyes. "'Where's the rifle, Hans?' I said. "'In Tubi is here, boss, where I have put her to keep her cool, so that she may not go off before it is wanted.' And he pointed to a little grave-like heap of gathered grass at his side. The natives, I should explain, named this particular gun Intumbi, which means a young girl, because it was so much slimmer and more graceful than other guns. Is it clean? I asked. Never was she cleaner since she was born out of the fire, boss. Also the powder has been sifted and set to dry in the sun with the caps, and the bullets have been trued to the barrel, so that there may be no accidents when it comes to the shooting. If you miss the Osvogels, boss, it will not be the fault of Intumbi, or of the powder in the bullets. It will be your own. That's comforting, I answered. Well, come on, I want to go to the death hill yonder. Why, boss, before the time? Asked the Hottentot, shrinking back a little. It is no place to visit till one is obliged. These Zulus say that ghosts sit there even in the daylight, haunting the rocks where they were made ghosts. Vultures sit or fly there also, Hans, and I would see how they fly. "'that I may know when and where to shoot at them.' "'That is right, boss,' said the clever Hottentot. "'This is not like firing at geese in the Groot Kloof. "'The geese go straight, like an assegai, to its mark. "'But the Asvogels wheel round and round, always on the turn. "'It is easy to miss a bird that is turning, boss.' "'Very easy. Come on.' "'Just as we were starting, Frau Prinsloo appeared from behind the other wagon, "'and with her Marie, who... I noticed, was very pale, and whose beautiful eyes were red, as though with weeping. The vrouw asked me where we were going. I told her. After considering a little, she said that it was a good thought of mine, as it was always well to study the ground before a battle. I nodded, and led Marie aside behind some thorn trees that grew near. "'Oh, Alan, what will be the end of this?' she asked piteously. High as I knew was her courage, it seemed to fail her now. "'A good end, dearest,' I answered. "'We shall come out of this hole safely, as we have of many others.' "'How do you know that, Alan, which is known to God alone?' "'Because God told me, Marie.' And I repeated to her the story of the voice I had heard in my dream, which seemed to comfort her. "'Yet,' she exclaimed doubtfully, "'it was but a dream, Alan, and dreams are such uncertain things. You may fail, after all. "'Do I look like one who will fail, Marie?' "'She studied me from head to foot, and then answered, "'No, you do not, although you did when you came back from the king's huts. "'Now you are quite changed. "'Still, Alan, you may fail. "'And then what?' 
"'Some of those dreadful Zulus have been here while you were sleeping, "'bidding us all make ready to go to the hill of death. "'They say that Dingaan is in earnest. "'If you do not kill the vultures, he will kill us. "'It seems that they are sacred birds, "'and if they escape he will think he has nothing to fear "'from the white men and their magic, "'and so will make a beginning by butchering us. "'I mean the rest of us, for I am to be kept alive.' I looked at her, and she looked at me. Then I took the double-barreled pistol out of my pocket and gave it to her. It is loaded, and on the half-cock, I said. She nodded, and hid it in her dress beneath her apron. Then without more words we kissed and parted, for both of us feared to prolong that scene. The hill, Loma Habamutu, was quite close to our encampment, and the huts of the Reverend Mr. Owen, scarcely a quarter of a mile off, I should say, "'rising from the flat veld on the further side of a little depression "'that hardly amounted to a valley. "'As we approached it I noticed its peculiar and blasted appearance, "'for whereas all the grass was vivid with the green of spring, "'on this place none seemed to grow. "'An eminence strewn with tumbled heaps of blackish rock, "'and among them a few struggling, dark-leaved bushes. "'That was its appearance. "'Moreover, many of these boulders looked as though "'they had been splashed and lined with whitewash.' "'showing that they were the resting place of hundreds of gorged vultures. "'I believe it is the Chinese who declare that particular localities "'have good or evil influences attached to them, "'some kind of spirit of their own, "'and really Haloma Amabutu and a few other spots "'that I am acquainted with in Africa give color to the fancy. "'Certainly as I set foot upon that accursed ground, "'that Golgotha, that place of skulls, a shiver went through me. "'It may have been caused by the atmosphere,' "'moral and actual of the mount, "'or it may have been a presence of a certain dreadful scene "'which within a few months I was doomed to witness there. "'Or perhaps the place itself "'and the knowledge of the trial before me "'sent a sudden chill through my healthy blood. "'I cannot say which it was, "'but the fact remains as I have stated, "'although a minute or two later, "'when I saw what kind of sleepers lay upon that mount, "'it would not have been necessary for me "'to seek any far-fetched explanation of my fear. "'Across this hill,' "'winding in and out between the rough rocks that lay here, "'there and everywhere, like hailstones after a winter storm, "'ran sundry paths. "'It seems that the shortest road to various places "'in the neighborhood of the Great Crawl ran over it, "'and although no Zulu ever dared to set foot there "'between sunset and sunrise, "'in the daytime they used these paths freely enough. "'But I suppose that they also held "'that this evil omen field of death had some spirit of its own, "'some invisible but imminent fiend, "'who needed to be propitiated, "'lest soon he should claim them also. "'This was their method of propitiation, "'a common one enough, I believe, in many lands, "'though what may be its meaning, I cannot tell. "'As the traveller came to those spots "'where the paths cut across each other, "'he took a stone and threw it onto a heap "'that had been accumulated there "'by the hands of other travellers. "'There were many such heaps upon the hill, "'over a dozen, I think, "'and the size of them was great.' "'I should say that the biggest contained quite fifty loads of stones, "'and the smallest not fewer than twenty or thirty. "'Now Hans, although he had never set foot there before, "'seemed to have learned all the traditions of the place, "'and what rites were necessary to avert its curse. "'At any rate, when we came to the first heap, "'he cast a stone upon it and begged me to do the same. "'I laughed and refused, "'but when we reached the second heap the same thing happened. "'Again I refused, whereon, "'Before we came to a third and larger pile, "'Hans sat down upon the ground and began to groan, "'swearing that he would not go one step further "'unless I promised to make the accustomed offering. "'Why not, Hans?' I asked. "'Because, if you neglect the boss, "'I think that we shall stop here forever. "'Oh, you may laugh, "'but I tell you that already you have brought ill luck upon yourself. "'Remember my words, boss, "'when you missed two of the five Osvogels.' Bosh! I exclaimed, or rather, its Dutch equivalent. Still, as this talk of missing vultures touched me nearly, and it is always as well to conform to native prejudices, at the next and two subsequent heaps I cast my stone as humbly as the most superstitious Zulu in the land. By this time we had reached the summit, which may have been two hundred yards long. It was hog-backed in shape, with a kind of depression in the middle cleared of stones, either by hand of man or nature, "'and not unlike a large circus in its general confirmation. "'Oh, the sight that met my eyes! "'All about lay the picked and scattered bones of men and women, "'many of them broken up by the jaws of hyenas. 
Some were quite fresh, for the hair still clung to the skulls. Others blanched and old. But new or ancient, there must have been hundreds of them. Moreover, on the sides of the hill it was the same story, though there, for the most part, the bones had been gathered into gleaming heaps. No wonder that the vultures loved Haloma Ambabutu, the place of slaughter of the bloody Zulu king. Of these horrible birds, however, at the moment, not one was to be seen. As there had been no execution for a few hours, they were seeking their food elsewhere. Now for my own purposes, I wanted to see them, since otherwise my visit was in vain, and presently bethought myself of a method of securing their arrival. Hans, I said, I'm going to pretend to kill you, and then you must lie quite still out there like one dead. Even if the Asvogels settle on you, you must lie quite still, so that I may see whence they come and how they settle. The Hottentot did not take it all kindly to this suggestion. Indeed, he flatly refused to obey me, giving sundry good reasons. He said that this kind of rehearsal was ill-omened, that coming events have a way of casting their shadow before, and he did not wish to furnish the event. He said that the Zulus declared that the sacred Asvogels of Homa Ababutu were as savage as lions, and that when once they saw a man down, they tore him to pieces, dead or living. In short, Hans and I came to an acute difference of opinion. As for every reason it was necessary that my view should prevail, however, I did not hesitate to put matters to him very plainly. Hans, I said, you have to be a bait for vultures. Choose if you will be a live bait or a dead bait. And I cocked the rifle significantly, although in truth, the last thing that I wished or intended to do was to shoot my faithful old Hottentot friend. But Hans, knowing all I had at stake, came to a different conclusion. Alamakta, boss, he said. I understand, and I do not blame you. Well, if I obey alive, perhaps my guardian spirit will protect me from the evil omen, and perhaps the Asvogels will not pick out my eyes. But if once you send a bullet through my stomach, why then everything is finished, and for Hans, it is good night, sleep well. I will obey you, boss, and lie where you wish, only I pray you, do not forget me and go away, leaving me with those devil birds. I promised him faithfully that I would not. Then I went to a very grim little pantomime. Proceeding to the center of the arena-like space, I lifted the gun and appeared to dash out Hans's brains with its butt. He fell upon his back, kicked about a little, and lay still. This finished Act One. Act Two was that, capering like a brute of a Zulu executioner, I retired from my victim and hid myself in a bush on the edge of the plateau at a distance of forty yards. After this there was a pause. The place was intensely bright with sunshine and intensely silent, as silent as the skeletons of the murdered men about me, as silent as Hans, who lay there looking so very small and dead in that big theater where no grass grew. It was an eerie wait in such surroundings, but at length the curtain rang up for Act Three. In the infinite arch of blue above me I perceived a speck, no larger than a mote of dust. The Asvogel on watch up there, far out of the range of man's vision, had seen the deed, and, by sinking downwards, signaled it to his companions that were quartering the sky for fifty miles around, for these birds prey by sight, not by smell. Down he came, and down, and long before he had reached the neighborhood of earth, other specks appeared in the distant blue. Now he was not more than four or five hundred yards above me, and began to wheel, floating round the place upon his wide wings, and sinking as he wheeled. So he sank softly and slowly until he was about a hundred and fifty feet above Hans. Then suddenly he paused, hung quite steady for a few seconds, shut his wings and fell like a bolt, only opening them again just before he reached the earth. Here he settled, tilting forward in that odd way which vultures have, and scrambling a few awkward paces until he gained his balance. Then he froze into immobility, gazing with an awful, stony glare at the prostrate Hans, who lay within about fifteen feet of him. Scarcely was this Osvogel down when others, summoned from the depths of the sky, did as he had done. They appeared, they sank, they wheeled, always from east to west, the way the sun travels. They hovered for a few seconds, then fell like stones, pitched onto their beaks, "'recovered themselves, waddled forward into line, "'and sat gazing at Hans. 
"'Soon there was a great ring of them about him, "'all immovable, all gazing, all waiting for something. "'Presently that something appeared in the shape of an Asvogel "'which was nearly twice as big as any of the others. "'This was what the Boers and natives called the King Vulture, "'one of which goes with every flock. "'He it is who rules the roost and also the carcass, "'which without his presence and permission none dare to attack.' Whether this vile fowl is of a different species from the others, or whether he is a bird of more vigorous growth and constitution that has outgrown the rest and thus become their overlord, is more than anyone can tell. At least it is certain, as I can testify from long and constant observation, that almost every flock of vultures has its king. When this particular royalty had arrived, the other Asvogels, of which perhaps there were now fifty or sixty gathered round Hans, began to show signs of interested animation. They looked at the king bird, they looked at Hans, stretching out their naked red necks and winking their brilliant eyes. I, however, did not pay any particular attention to those upon the earth, being amply occupied in watching their fellows in the air. With delight I observed that the vulture is a very conservative creature. They all did what doubtless they have done since the days of Adam or earlier, wheeled, and then hung that little space of time before they dropped to the ground like lead. This, then, would be the moment at which to shoot them, when for four or five seconds they offered practically a sitting target. Now, at that distance, always under a hundred yards, I knew well that I could hit a T-plate every shot, and a vulture is much larger than a T-plate. So it seemed to me that, barring accidents, I had little to fear from the terrible trial of skill which lay before me. Again and again I covered the hovering birds with my rifle, feeling that if I had pressed the trigger I should have pierced them through. Thinking it well to practice, I continued this game for a long while, till at last it came to an unexpected end. Suddenly I heard a scuffling sound. Dropping my glance, I saw that the whole mob of Asvogels were rushing upon Hans, helping themselves forward by flapping their great wings, and that about three feet in front of them was their king. Next instant Hans vanished, and from the center of that fluffy, stinking mass there arose a frightful yell. As a matter of fact, as I found afterwards, the king vulture had fastened on to his snub nose, whilst its dreadful companions, having seized other portions of his frame, were beginning to hang back after their fashion in order to secure some chosen morsel. Hans kicked and screamed, and I rushed in shouting, causing them to rise in a great flapping cloud that presently vanished this way and that. Within a minute they had all gone, and the Hottentot and I were left alone. "'That is good,' I said. "'You played well.' "'Good, boss?' "'he answered. "'And I with two cuts in my nose "'in which I can lay my finger "'and bites all over me. "'Look how my trousers are torn. "'Look at my head. "'Where's the hair? "'Look at my nose. "'Played well? "'It is those verdamned Asvogels that played. "'Oh, boss, if you had seen and smelt them, "'you would say that was not good. "'See, one more second, "'and I, who have two nostrils, "'should have had four. "'Never mind, Hans,' I said. "'It's only a scratch, and I will make you a present of some new trousers. "'Also, here is tobacco for you. "'Come to the bush. Let us talk.' "'So we went, and when Hans was a little composed, "'I told him all I had observed about the habits of the Asvogel in the air, "'and he told me all that he had observed about their habits on the ground, "'which, as I might not shoot them sitting, did not interest me. "'Still he agreed with me that the right moment to fire "'would be just before they pounced.' Whilst we were still talking, we heard a sound of shouts, and, looking over the brow of the hill that faced towards Umgungungluvu, we saw a melancholy sight. Being driven up the slope towards us by three executioners and a guard of seven or eight soldiers, their hands tied behind their backs, were three men, one very old, one of about fifty years of age, and one a lad who did not look more than eighteen. As I soon heard, they were of a single family, the grandfather, the father, and the eldest son, who had been seized on some ridiculous charge of witchcraft, but really in order that the king might take their cattle. Having been tried and condemned by the Nyangas, or witch-doctors, these poor wretches were now doomed to die. Indeed, not content with thus destroying the heads of the tribe, present and to come for three generations, all their descendants and collaterals had already been wiped out by Dinjan, so that he might pose as sole heir to the family cattle." Such were the dreadful cruelties that happened in Zululand in those days. We'll return with our story 
right after these sponsor messages. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And now, Chapter 14 of Marie, The Play. The doomed three were driven by their murderers into the center of the Depression, within a few yards of where Hans and I were standing. After them came the head executioner, a great brute who bore a curiously shaped leopard-skin cap, I suppose as a badge of office, and held in his hand a heavy carry, the shaft of which was scored with many notches, each of them representing a human life. "'See, white man!' he shouted. "'Here is the bait which the king sends to draw the holy birds to you.' Had it not been that you needed such bait, perhaps these wizards would have escaped, but the black one said the little son of George, who is named Makumazan, needs them that he may show his magic, and therefore they must die today. Now with this information I turned positively sick, nor did it make me feel better when the youngest of the victims, hearing the executioner's words, flung himself upon my knees and began to implore me to spare him. His grandfather also addressed me, saying, "'Chief, will it not be enough if I die? "'I am old, and my life does not matter. "'Or if one is not sufficient, take me and my son, "'and let the lad, my grandson, go free. "'We are all of us innocent of any witchcraft, "'and he is not even old enough to practice such things, "'being but an unmarried boy. "'Chief, you also are young. "'Would not your heart be heavy if you had to be slain "'when the sun of your life was still new in the sky? "'Think, white chief!' What your father would feel, if you have one, should he be forced to see you killed before his eyes, that some stranger might use your body to show his skill with a magic weapon by slaying the wild things that would eat it. Now, almost with tears, I broke in, explaining to the venerable man as well as I could that their horrible fate had nothing to do with me. I told him that I was innocent of their blood, who was forced to be there to try and shoot vultures on the wing in order to save my white companions from a doom similar to their own. He listened attentively, asking a question now and then, and when he had mastered my meaning, and said with the most dignified calmness, Now I understand, white man, and I'm glad to learn that you are not cruel, as I thought. My children, he added, turning to the others, let us trouble this inkus no more. He only does what he must do to save the lives of his brethren by his skill, if he can. If we continue to plead with him and stir his heart to pity, the sorrow swelling in it may cause his hand to shake, and then they will die also, and their blood be on his head and ours. My children, it is the king's will that we should be slain. Let us make ready to obey the king, as men of our house have always done. White Lord, we thank you for your good words. May you live long, and may good fortune sleep in your hut to the end. May you shoot straight also with your magic tool and thereby win the lives of your company out of the hand of the king. Farewell, Inkus. And since he could not lift his bound hands in salutation, he bowed to me, as did the others. Then they walked to a little distance, and, seating themselves on the ground, began to talk together, and after a while to drone some strange chant in unison. The executioners and the guards also sat down not far away, laughing, chatting, "'and passing a horn of snuff from hand to hand. "'Indeed, I observed that the captain of them "'even took some snuff to the victims "'and held it in his palm beneath their noses "'while they drew it up their nostrils "'and politely thanked him between the sneezes. "'As for myself, I lit a pipe and smoked it, "'for I seemed to require a stimulant, "'or rather a sedative. "'Before it was finished, Hans, "'who was engaged in doctoring his scratches "'made by the vulture's beaks "'with a concoction of leaves which he had been chewing,' "'exclaimed suddenly in his matter-of-fact voice. "'Sebas, here they come, "'the white people on one side "'and the black on the other, "'just like the goats and the sheep "'at Judgment Day in the book. "'I looked, and there to my right "'appeared the party of Boers, "'headed by the Vrau Prinsloo, "'who held the remnants of an old umbrella "'over her head. "'To the left advanced a number of Zulu nobles and counselors, 
in front of whom waddled Dinjon arrayed in his bead-dancing dress. He was supported by two stalwart body-servants, whilst a third held a shield over his head to protect him from the sun, and a fourth carried a large stool, upon which he was to sit. Behind each party also I perceived a number of Zulus in their war-dress, all of them armed with broad-stabbing spears. The two parties arrived at the stone upon which I was sitting almost simultaneously, as probably it had been arranged that they should do, and halted, staring at each other. As for me, I sat still upon my stone, and smoked on. Allah Makta, Alan, puffed the vrouw Prinsloo, who was breathless with her walk up the hill. So here you are. As you did not come back, I thought you had run away and left us, like that stink-cat Barrera. Yes, Tante, here I am, I answered gloomily. "'and I wish to heaven I was somewhere else.' "'Just then Dinjon, having settled his great bulk upon the stool "'and recovered his breath, called to the lad Halstead, who was with him, and said, "'Oh, Tomas, ask your brother, Makumazan, "'if he is ready to try to shoot the vultures. "'If not, as I wish to be fair, "'I will give him a little more time to make his magic medicine.' "'I replied sulkily that I was as ready as I was ever likely to be.' Then the Vrau Prinsloo, understanding that the king of the Zulus was before her, advanced upon him, waving her umbrella. Catching hold of Halstead, who understood Dutch, she forced him to translate an harangue, which she addressed to Dinjon. Had he rendered it exactly as it came from her lips, we should all have been dead in five minutes, but luckily that unfortunate young man had learned some of the guile of the serpent during his sojourn among the Zulus, and varied her vigorous phrases. The gist of her discourse was that he, Dinjan, was a black-hearted and bloody-minded villain, with whom the Almighty would come even sooner or later, as indeed he did, and that if he dared to touch one hair of her or of her companions' heads, the Boers, her countrymen, would prove themselves to be the ministers of the Almighty in that matter, as indeed they did, as translated by Halstead into Zulu. What she said was that Dinjan was the greatest king in the whole world, in fact, that there was not, and never had been, any such king either in power, wisdom, or personal beauty, and that if she and her companions had to die, the sight of his glory consoled them for their deaths. Indeed, said Dinjan, suspiciously. If that is what this man-woman says, her eyes tell one story, and her lips another. Oh, Tomas, lie no more. Speak the true words of the white chieftainess, lest I should find them out otherwise. "'and give you to the slayers.' "'Thus adjured, Halstead explained "'that he had not yet told all the words. "'The man-woman, who was, as he, Dinjan, supposed, "'a great chieftainess among the Dutch, "'added that if he, the mighty and glorious king, "'the earth-shaker, the world-eater, "'killed her or any of her subjects, "'her people would avenge her by killing him and his people.' "'Does she say that?' said Dinjan. Then, as I thought, these boors are dangerous, and not the peaceful folk they make themselves out to be. And he brooded for a while, staring at the ground. Presently he lifted his head and went on. Well, a bet is a bet, and therefore I will not wipe out this handful, as otherwise I would have done at once. Tell the old cow of a chieftain as that, notwithstanding her threats, I stick to my promise. If the little son of George, Macumazan, "'can shoot three vultures out of five by help of his magic. "'Then she and her servants shall go free. "'If not, the vultures which he has missed shall feed on them, "'and afterwards I will talk with her people when they come to avenge her. "'Now enough of this indaba. "'Bring those evil doers here that they may thank and praise me, "'who give them so merciful an end.' "'So the grandfather, the father, and the son "'were hustled before Dinjan by the soldiers "'and greeted him with the royal salute of Bayette.' "'O king,' said the old man, "'I and my children are innocent. "'Yet if it pleases you, O king, "'I am ready to die, and so is my son. "'Yet we pray you to spare the little one. "'He is but a boy, "'who may grow up to do you good service, "'as I have done you and your house for many years.' "'Be silent, you white-headed dog,' "'answered Dinjan fiercely. "'This lad is a wizard, like the rest of you, "'and would grow up to bewitch me "'and to plot with my enemies.' "'Know that I have stamped out all your family, "'and shall I leave him to breed another that would hate me? 
"'Be gone to the world of spirits "'and tell them how Dinjon deals with sorcerers.' "'The old man tried to speak again, "'for evidently he loved this grandchild of his, "'but a soldier struck him in the face, "'and Dinjon shouted, "'What? Are you not satisfied? "'I tell you that if you say more, "'I will force you to kill the boy with your own hand. "'Take them away.' Then I turned and hid my face, as did all the white folk. Presently I heard the old man, whom they had saved to the last that he might witness the deaths of his descendants, cry out in a loud voice, On the night of the thirteenth full moon from this day, I, the farsighted, I, the prophet, summon thee, Dinjon, to meet me and mine in the land of ghosts, and there to pay. Then with a roar of horror the executioners fell on him, and he died. When there was silence I looked up, and saw that the king, who had turned a dirty yellow hue with fright, for he was very superstitious, was trembling and wiping the sweat from his brow. "'You should have kept the wizard alive,' he said in a shaky voice to the head slayer, who was engaged in cutting three more nicks on the handle of his dreadful carry. "'Fool! I would have heard the rest of his lying message.' The man answered humbly that he thought it best it should remain unspoken, and got himself out of sight as soon as possible." Here I may remark that by an odd coincidence Dinjon actually was killed about thirty moons from that time. Mopo, his general, who slew his brother Chaka, slew him also with the help of Umslopogos, the son of Chaka. In after years, Umslopogos told me the story of the dreadful ghost-haunted death of this tyrant, but of course he could not tell me exactly upon what day it happened. Therefore I do not know whether the prophecy was strictly accurate." For the history of the death of Dinjan, see the authors Nada the Lily. The three victims lay dead in the hollow of the hill of death. Presently the king, recovering himself, gave orders that the spectators should be moved back to places where they could see what happened without frightening the vultures. So the boars, attended by their band of soldiers, who were commanded to slay them at once if they attempted to escape, went one way, and Dinjan and his Zulus went the other, "'leaving Hans and myself alone behind our bush. "'As the white people passed me, "'Frau Prinsloo wished me good luck in a cheerful voice, "'although I could see that her poor old hand was shaking "'and she was wiping her eyes with the vat doke. "'Henri Murray, also in broken tones, "'implored me to shoot straight for his daughter's sake. "'Then came Marie, pale but resolute, "'who said nothing, but only looked me in the eyes "'or touched the pocket of her dress "'in which I knew the pistol lay hid.' Of the rest of them, I took no notice. The moment, that dreadful moment of trial had come at last, and, oh, the suspense and the waiting were hard to bear. It seemed an age before the first speck, that I knew to be a vulture, appeared thousands of feet above me and began to descend in wide circles. Oh, boss, said poor Hans, this is worse than shooting at the geese in the Groot Kloof. Then you could only lose your horse, but now... "'Be silent,' I hissed, and give me the rifle. "'The vulture wheeled and sank, sank and wheeled. "'I glanced toward the boars, and saw that they were all of them on their knees. "'I glanced toward the Zulus, and saw that they were watching, "'as, I think, they had never watched anything before. "'For to them this was a new excitement. "'Then I fixed my eyes upon the bird. "'Its last circle was accomplished.' Before it pounced, it hung on wide, outstretched wings, as the others had done, its head towards me. I drew a deep breath, lifted the rifle, got the foresight dead upon its breast, and touched the hair trigger. As the charge exploded, I saw the Asvogel give a kind of backward twist. Next instant I heard a loud clap, and a surge of joy went through me, for I thought that the bullet had found its billet. But alas, it was not so. The clap was apparently that of the air disturbed by the passing of the ball and the striking of this air against the stiff feathers of the wing. Anyone who was shot at great birds on the wing with a bullet will be acquainted with the sound. Instead of falling, the vulture recovered itself. Not knowing the meaning of this unaccustomed noise, it dropped quietly to earth and sat down near the bodies, pitching forward in the natural way and running a few paces, as the others had done that afternoon. Evidently, it was quite unhurt. "'Missed!' gasped Hans as he grasped the rifle to load it. "'Oh, why did you not throw a stone onto the first heap?' "'I gave Hans a look that must have frightened him. "'At any rate, he spoke no more. 
from the boars went up a low groan. Then they began to pray harder than ever, while the Zulus clustered round the king and whispered to him. I learned afterwards that he was giving heavy odds against me, ten to one in cattle, which they were obliged to take, unwillingly enough. Hans finished loading, Captain cocked the rifle, and handed it to me. By now other vultures were appearing. Being desperately anxious to get the thing over one way or another, at the proper moment I took the first of them. Again I covered it dead and pressed. Again as the gun exploded, I saw that backward lurch of the bird, and heard the clap of air upon its wings. And then, oh, horror! This, asked Vogel, turned quietly, and began to mount the ladder of the sky in the same fashion as it had descended. I had missed once more. The second heap of stones has done this, boss, said Hans faintly, and this time I did not even look at him. I only sat down and buried my face in my hands. One more such miss, and then... Hans began to whisper to me. Boss, he said, those Asvogos see the flash of the gun and shy at it like a horse. Boss, you are shooting into their faces, for they all hang with their beaks toward you before they drop. You must get behind them and fire into their tails, for even Asvogo cannot see with its tail. I let fall my hands and stared at him. Surely the poor fellow had been inspired from on high. I understood it all now. While their beaks were towards me, I might fire at fifty vultures and never hit one, for each time they would swerve from the flash, causing the bullet to miss them, though by a little. Come, I gasped, and began to walk quickly round the edge of the depression to a rock, which I saw opposite about a hundred yards away. My journey took me near the Zulus, who mocked me as I passed, asking where my magic was, and if I wished to see the white people killed presently. Din John was now offering odds of fifty cattle to one against, against me, but no one would take the bet, even with the king. I made no answer, no, not even when they asked me if I had thrown down my spear and was running away. Grimly, despairingly, I marched onto the rock and took shelter behind it with Hans. The boors I saw were still upon their knees, but seemed to have ceased praying. The children were weeping, the men stared at each other, Vrouw Prinsloo had her arm about Marie's waist. Waiting there behind the rock, my courage returned to me, as it sometimes does in the last extremity. I remembered my dream and took comfort. Surely God would not be so cruel as to suffer me to fail and thereby bring all those poor people to their deaths. Snatching the rifle from Hans, I loaded it myself. Nothing must be trusted to another. As I put on the cap, a vulture made its last circle. It hung in the air just as the others had done and, oh, its tail was toward me. I lifted, I aimed between the gathered-up legs, I pressed and shut my eyes, for I did not dare to look. I heard the bullets strike, or seemed to strike, and a few seconds later I heard something else, the noise of a heavy thud upon the ground. I looked, and there with outstretched wings lay the foul bird dead, stone dead, eight or ten paces from the bodies. Allah makta, that's better, said Hans. "'You threw stones onto all the other heaps, didn't you, boss?' "'The Zulus grew excited, and the odds went down a little. "'The Boers stretched out their white faces and stared at me. "'I saw them out of the corner of my eye as I loaded again. "'Another vulture came, seeing one of its companions on the ground, "'as if in a somewhat unnatural attitude. "'Perhaps it thought that there could be nothing to fear. "'I leaned against my rock, aimed, and fired, almost carelessly, "'so sure was I of the result.' This time I did not shut my eyes, but watched to see what happened. The bullet struck the bird between its thighs, raked it from end to end, and down it came like a stone almost upon the top of its fellow. Good, good, said Hans, with a guttural chuckle of delight. Now, boss, make no mistake with the third. And all shall be well. Yes, I answered, if I make no mistake with the third. I loaded the rifle again myself, being very careful to ram down the powder well and to select a bullet that fitted perfectly true to the bore. Moreover, I cleared the nipple with a thorn and shook a little fine powder into it so as to obviate any chance of a misfire. Then I set on the cap and waited. What was going on among the Boers or the Zulus I did not know. In this last crisis of all our fates I never looked, being too intent upon my own part in the drama. 
By now the vultures appeared to have realized that something unusual was in progress, which threatened danger to them. At any rate, although by this time they had collected in hundreds from the east, west, north, and south, and were wheeling the heavens above in their vast, majestic circles, none of them seemed to care to descend to prey upon the bodies. I watched and saw that among their number was that great king bird which had bitten Hans in the face. It was easy to distinguish him, because he was so much larger than the others. Also he had some white at the tips of his wings. I observed that certain of his company drew near to him in the skies, where they hung together in a knot, as though in consultation. They separated out again, and the king began to descend, deputed probably to spy out the land. Down he came in ever-narrowing turns, until he reached the appointed spot for the plunge, and according to the immemorial custom of these birds, hung a while before he pounced with his head to the south and his great spreading tail towards me. This was my chance, and, rejoicing in having so large a mark, I got the sight upon him and pulled. The bullet thudded, some feathers floated from his belly, showing that it had gone home, and I looked to see him fall as the others had done. But alas, he did not fall. For a few seconds he rocked to and fro upon his great wings, then commenced to travel upwards in vast circles, which grew gradually more narrow, till he appeared to be flying almost straight into the Empyrean. I stared and stared. Everyone stared, till that enormous bird became, first a mere blot upon the blue, and at length but a speck. Then it vanished altogether into regions far beyond the sight of man. Now there is an end. I said to Hans. Yeah, boss, answered the Hottentot, between his chattering teeth. There is an end. You did not put in enough powder. Presently we shall all be dead. Not quite, I said with a bitter laugh. Hans, load the rifle, load it quick. Before they die there shall be another king in Zulu land. Good, good, he exclaimed as he loaded desperately. Let us take that fat pig of a Dinjan with us. "'Shoot him in the stomach, boss. "'Shoot him in the stomach, "'so that he too may learn what it is to die slowly. "'Then cut my throat. "'Here's my big knife, "'and afterwards cut your own. "'If you have not time to load the gun again "'and shoot yourself, which is easier.' "'I nodded, for it was in my mind to do those things. "'Never could I stand still "'and see those poor boors killed, "'and I knew that Marie would look after herself. "'Meanwhile the Zulus were coming towards me, and the soldiers who had charge of them were driving up Marais' people, making pretense to thrust them through with their segais, and shouting at them as men do at cattle. Both parties arrived in the depression at about the same time, but remained separated by a little space. In this space lay the corpses of the murdered men and the two dead Asvogels, with Hans and myself standing opposite to them. "'Well, little son of George,' puffed Dinjan, "'you have lost your bet.' "'for you did but kill two vultures out of five with your magic, "'which was good as far as it went, but not good enough. "'Now you must pay, as I would have paid had you won.' "'Then he stretched out his hand and issued the dreadful order, "'Bulala Amalungu! Kill the white people. "'Kill them one by one, that I may see whether they know how to die. "'All except Makumazan and the tall girl, whom I keep.' Some of the soldiers made a dash and seized the Vrau Prinsloo, who was standing in front of the party. "'Wait a little, King!' she called out, as the Assegais were lifted over her. "'How do you know that the bed is lost?' "'He whom you call Makumazan hit that last vulture. "'It should be searched for before you kill us.' "'What does the old woman say?' asked Dinjan, and Halstead translated slowly. "'True!' said Dinjan. "'Well!' "'Now I will send her to search for the vulture in the sky. "'Come back thence, fat one, and tell us if you find it.' "'The soldiers lifted their segais, waiting the king's word. "'I pretended to look at the ground and cocked my rifle, "'being determined that if he spoke it, it would be his last. "'Hans stared upwards, I suppose to avoid the sight of death, "'then suddenly uttered a wild yell which caused everyone, "'even the doomed people, to turn their eyes to him. He was pointing to the heavens, and they looked to see at what he pointed. This was what they saw. Far, far above in that infinite sea of blue there appeared a tiny speck which his sharp-sighted already discerned, 
a speck that grew larger and larger as it descended with terrific and ever-growing speed. It was a king vulture falling from the heavens, dead. Down it came between the Vral Prinsloo and the Slayers, smashing the lift of the Sagai of one of them and hurling him to the earth. Down it came and lay there in a mere mass of pulp and feathers. "'Oh, Dinjon!' I said in the midst of the intense silence that followed. "'It seems that it is I who have won the bet, not you. "'I killed this king of birds, "'but being a king he chose to die high up and alone. "'That is all.' "'Dinjon hesitated, "'for he did not wish to spare the boars, "'and I, noting his hesitation, "'lifted my rifle a little. "'Perhaps he saw it, "'or perhaps his sense of honor, "'as he understood the word, "'overcame his wish for their blood.' At any rate, he said to one of his counselors, Search the carcass of that vulture and see if there is a bullet hole in it. The man obeyed, feeling at the mass of broken bones and flesh. By good fortune, he found not the hole, for that was lost in the general destruction of the tissues, but the ball itself, which, having pierced the thick body from below upwards, had remained fast in the tough skin just by the backbone where the long red neck emerges from between the wings. He picked it out, "'for it was only hanging in the skin, "'and held it up for all to see. "'Makumazan has won his bet,' said Dinjan. "'His magic is conquered, though by very little. "'Makumazan, take these boors, they're yours, "'and be gone with them, out of my country.'" Thanks for joining us for chapters 13 and 14 of Marie by H. Ryder Haggard. Join us next week, Sunday night, for Marie, chapters 15 and 16. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.